and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking Dumbo. Dumbo. Disney's Dumbo. Yeah. Tim Burton's Disney's Dumbo. Tim Burton's Disney's Dumbo by way of, I don't know, I had something and I lost it. It's not worth finishing. Yeah. Sad trombones. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we've been down here to record an episode. I know. It's it's a pleasure to see you. I know. How have you been? <laughs> um, well, it's podcasting time. I have the the squishy pit bull in my lap. It's kind of appropriate for this week's episode. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, and we get to realize all of our weird anthropomorphic dreams and... This weird mashup of Disney and Tim Burton in what felt not like a PG movie. Yeah, I think because uh, you mentioned that in the movie because there was a child who was literally it sounded like they were just like playing with toys mm-hmm. uh, in the aisle. And you asked me, what's this movie rated? And I was like, well, it's PG. And you were like, it felt PG-13. And I was wondering about that. Uh, I think it's not even as much like the content of the movie or like the tone of the movie, but more the atmosphere of the movie. I think it's because we're used to seeing a Tim Burton movie be a little more adult themed. And so like his typical atmospheric tricks kind of lulled us into a PG-13 feeling. Yeah, I can see that. Um, It certainly wasn't Batman Tim Burton. No. Uh, So that's for certain. Um, But... uh, I guess kind of like the overall tone, it was just kind of like, ah. So, I guess before we go into this, uh, what is the drink of the podcast? Well, I originally thought something with peanut butter, because peanuts are a big part of the circus, baseball, and Dumbo. (laughs) Yeah, but we also just ate a later lunch before we went and saw the movie so we were like oh, I don't know if I can do anything peanut butter right now well also um being uh who I am I can't just eat anything mm-hmm. so um peanut butter milkshake unless we went through the trouble to go buy all the dairy-free options is a pain in the booty but um elephants on parade um in the original movie, yeah, the pink elephants. Yeah. Yes, they had Dumbo get drunk, and what did he get drunk off? He got drunk off of champagne. So, hi ho, hi ho, cheers, we go. <clears throat> Drink of the podcast is champagne, um, and since this is technically a kids' movie for our younger audience, get yourself some Martinelli's. Exactly. <laughs> Treat yourself to something nice. Is Martinelli's is the normal apple juice. What's the sparkling one? Is that uh, Martinelli's? It might be. Honestly, I haven't had it in so long. Uh, I remember in a high school, whenever we would get together, like, you know, if one of our friends had like a New Year's party or something like that, the parents would always get us the spark, like the sparkling apple juice or sparkling grape juice or something like that. And I don't remember what it was. It kind of felt like drinking dry. Like, you would drink it, and it's like, oh, my mouth all of a sudden feels dry. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's like drinking, like, when I used to be a porter on the car lot, we used to have these towels that were specifically meant for, like, detailing, and they would stick to your oh, hands. Oh, I hate those yeah. towels. So, so a super dry uh, champagne or something like that always makes me feel like I'm drinking one of those. <laughs> yeah. 
And by the way, so we're talking Dumbo, and uh, Jordan <laughs> looked over at me and goes, who does this remind you of? <laughs> and I just can't stop, t- like, kissing our little pig upon him. Yeah, Dumbo in this movie very much reminds us of Madison. Uh, I mean, Madison, we typically call her a little hippo anyway. It's peak eponymous. Yeah. <laughs> little catch hippo. Uh-huh. Um, goodness. So I think we're dreading talking about this movie, I think. A little bit. For me, it's just like, I don't know what else to talk about. And like kids movies are kind of, unless we just go see like a perfect kids movie, kids movies I feel are kind of hard for us to talk about on the show anyway, because like. We're looking at it from an adult's perspective, and that, right. that means that a lot of things we're going to be like, oh, well, from a storytelling standpoint, they should have done this differently. And as you pointed out plenty of times from our very first episode of The Incredibles 2, it's like, yeah, but that's not the target audience doesn't care. Right. And um, we did have small people in this showing. However, I don't think they were completely focused on the movie. Um, and... Honestly, the way that the, they decided to tell this story, it honestly felt like an adult movie. I didn't, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get more into this, but I didn't feel that the kids were relatable to other children. I felt that they were more relatable to adults. I have a lot of thoughts on that one, on, on that point, whenever we start getting more into it. Um, yeah, I see, I see what you mean by that. There were some times where like, the kids would laugh, but... It, it was it, more it, like the like the peak elephants, which that yeah. was a cool sequence. I mean, there's a lot. Let, let's just rate it real quick because okay. there's a, there's a there is a lot of good to say about this. We movie. have some unpacking to do. Yes, there aren't um, quite thoughts, but it's not quite magical either. Uh, no, no, no. Um, we're gonna rate this week in those orange squishy circus peanuts. <laughs> Okay, the orange squishy circus peanuts. How many orange squishy circus peanuts would you give this movie? I'd give it a two and a half. I'm going to go like, I'm going to say right around three, but this is a different three than like I gave Aquaman, you know? Okay. Again, everything's an asterisk and nothing is like on a, on, everything is on a subjective scale, you know? Correct. Because if we were to compare this to Aquaman, I think Aquaman you know what? I feel like this might be a more successful movie than Aquaman, but Aquaman definitely was more engaging. This one kind of felt long. Yeah. Um, this one to me felt kind of like it was a, it was a movie that they wanted to make like for more grown children or adults, but they didn't commit to that. And they didn't really commit to making it just like a straight up whimsical kids movie either. Yeah. The reason I give it a two and a half is Um, well, for those of you who know me, and this is something I've not really talked about on the podcast before, I'm not really into over anthropomorphizing things, Mm -hmm. meaning making animals seem more than they are. Cause I already, like, I already think stuffed animals have thoughts. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time eating meat. Um, I believe Madison talks to me. Toy Story 4 is going to be hard now that they've anthropomorphized a fork. I know, like what the, there's a reason I didn't see Sausage Party because I was like, I can't like not eat broccoli or asparagus because things are really hard for me already because of, I might, I can't do certain things. And so they didn't go full on in either direction. Um, I did appreciate the non-circus animal 
stance that the movie took, but they kept the horses in captivity. And then, and not that like, they're not wild horses to begin with, but then I was like, but, and then I, so I had a hard time with that. And then it just felt like a very grown up movie and I missed some of the whimsy. Um, it was nice to hear Danny Elfman with some whimsy again. Yeah. Especially after watching the Grinch. Yeah. Um, and it was by no means a bad movie, but, um, and I could see where my heart strings wanted to be tugged. And when I think of the original Dumbo, I just, I can't watch the original Dumbo because my, only my heart breaks, mm-hmm. like my heart breaks. And also it's a little too much of an acid trip for normal me. And that movie was made in 1941. I know. Yeah. I know. So to me, like, it's like, there's a reason I don't watch like Fantasia and Dumbo. I can't watch Bambi, like certain things I just can't handle. Yeah. And Dumbo to me is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a happy ending in the original. Yeah. 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 But to me, the whole movie, um, this one definitely didn't come off that way, which I think made it more stomachable. So this one, it reminded me a lot of Christopher Robin and the way that whenever I saw the first trailer, I was like blown away. You know, like, yeah. like they show, they don't even show Dumbo flying. They show everyone's reaction to Dumbo flying and they keep the music really low key and they let it, they, the trailer, it's, it's a, it's very much a lesson that you can take your time in a trailer, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I remember seeing that and I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And then just like Christopher Robin, I was disappointed that it didn't break my heart. Yeah. Um, I felt like where it wanted me to though, as opposed to Christopher Robin, where I was like, Nada. Yeah. Nothing. Except for Eeyore. Anytime Eeyore spoke, I was like, this is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I didn't, it didn't sync with me. This one, I could definitely see where my heart went, oh, this is where it was. Yeah. I think you described this one is that it's, it's not a, you described it well, is that it's not a bad movie at all. And I would still actually recommend people see this movie. Um, but I don't think it's overall successful. Um, I think that it was very afraid to commit to what it was putting on screen. Yeah. Can I also just make a side note? Uh Uh-huh. The pig is snoring in my lap. Jessica is stuck here for the rest of the day. (laughs) Um, But yeah, back to the movie. (laughs) Yeah, um, Yeah, I just felt like this movie had some commitment issues, which is interesting coming from Tim Burton, the man who gets engaged for 14 years solid and then breaks up. But <laughs> irony. Yeah. Um I agree and you know yeah. Overall too, if I'm thinking about it, I don't just love it when Tim Burton does a straight up kids movie. What which which other ones are you thinking of? So, uh because I don't feel like he does kids mo- kids movies. No, he he has some just like movies that are meant for kids, even though they're darker. Like uh, Alice? Well, Alice is that is a kids movie, and that was the movie that first got the kick of you know Disney remaking all of their animated movies live action. That was one of the first ones. Right. I took a snoring nap. Yeah. In that one. Um, like, and there's some kids movies that he did that I think are pretty good. Like, uh, I never saw it, but you said Frank and Weenie was pretty good. Oh, Frank and Weenie was good, but that was animated. Yeah. Um, and then like he also did Corpse Bride again, animated, but that one's pretty good. But these animated um, movies are totally on par. If you think like Nightmare Before Christmas, which is his birth child, but yeah. he didn't blah, blah, blah. But those those specific ones are really great because they allow his colors to really 
shine. Yeah. The only other straight up kids movie, I guess, that he did like live action like this, uh, he did Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which is, that's, I mean, it's a PG-13 movie, but it's still kind of meant for like the YA my audience. My mom, my mom liked it. I saw it. I liked it all right. We saw it with a bunch of friends of ours and we were all just like, yeah, that was fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh. I thought Becky hated it. Becky might have hated it. I can't remember. Okay. Um, Becky Rasool. Did you like it or hate it? Let us know. But also Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which I did not like. No. Yeah. So when Tim Burton has to do a straight up kids movie that's not animated, I just don't think he's very successful at it. Yeah. I th- I think I think he I mean, regardless of whatever you say about his movies, and he is fairly hit or miss, you know? Yes. Um, but the man has just imagination like nobody's business. Oh, hundred percent. But Whenever he has to do a kid's movie, it's almost like it almost always feels like he's not being true to himself. Like a movie like Corpse Bride, yeah, that's a that's kind of a kid's movie, but it's also a movie about a man marrying a corpse. It is a movie about necrophilia for the whole family. <laughs> um, and like it lets him go to these specific places. With Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's like yeah, Willy Wonka is technically a murderer, but you've just made it feel like untethered. <laughs> what uh yes but woof. um well so for our friends who may be on their way to the theater let's talk about the things that we really liked in this movie because i think we've got a lot to unpack yeah so let's talk about the things we like for about the movie so all of our friends who are heading to the theaters right now or about to months from now play it on netflix or play it on their home dvd um, from video on demand or whatever. Um, let's talk about what we did like, so that way they have some things to look forward to. Because, like you said, I think this is a movie worth watching. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this one more than we recommended The Grinch. Oh, agreed. Um, to start off with, I thought the music was great. Yes, it was great to hear Danny Elfman just be like vintage Danny Elfman. Yeah, and it's not. I don't say that to be, mean like you know I want him to have one sound and that's it. No, but like. You know, he didn't do the last Tim Burton movie, Miss Peregrine, uh, which it was weird whenever they put like this EDM track in the chase scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he didn't sound like he was himself for the Grinch. He didn't sound, feel like his heart was in it for the Grinch. So it was nice to go into a theater and hear Danny Elfman just be Danny Elfman. Did Danny Elfman do Hocus Pocus? No, that was John Debney. Because I keep hearing the soundtrack from Hocus Pocus. Well, but you the thing is that I'm sure that if they I'm sure that if they had the budget they probably would have hired Danny Elfman for that movie. Because uh, th- John, John Debney's score for Hocus Pocus is very Danny Elfman influenced. Yeah, so but that's what I'm saying yeah. is like I keep hearing mm-hmm. um I don't he- I'm not hearing any of the exact music from Dumbo. Right. But that um, especially the opening sequence of music from Hocus Pocus mm-hmm. is stuck in my head. And I haven't seen that movie since October. Uh, it also, a lot of it also did remind me of Edward Scissorhands. It seemed yeah. he, he very much went back to uh, his Edward Scissorhand box of tools for this yeah. movie. Um, one of the things that I thought was kind of fun in this movie that I think we as adults enjoyed, there was a lot of uh, Batman um, mm-hmm. callbacks. I mean, it was also really fun to see Michael Keaton be the villain and Danny DeVito be the good guy. Exactly. Like, Danny DeVito was by no means a bad guy. No, and that's interesting because in the original Dumbo, uh, the ringleader was kind of as close to the villain as that movie had. Yes. You know, everybody was bullying Dumbo. It was very much like him against the world with, you know, the mouse and his mother, too, and the crows. Yeah. Um, 
but the ringleader that was he was kind of he was kind of positioned in the villain's position there. Yeah. Uh, whereas in this one, he he definitely makes some morally ambiguous choices, but he was not the bad guy. No, which was which was neat, and I you know this is by this isn't a direct remake, no. which is kind of nice, um, and that brings you into kind of how we can be lured. This is this is a movie about how adults can be lured by what we think we're supposed to have. Exactly. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. And and I I thought it was fun to see Michael Keaton be like a wacky evil dude. I mean, I'm loving like the the renaissance that he's been having over the last like five or six years yeah because he really did just kind of go away for a while Mm -hmm. um and he successfully came back without feeling like he was selling out yeah like like i remember i hadn't seen michael keaton in a long time and all of a sudden he shows up as a guest star on 30 rock um and i I was like oh well i guess i guess that's just going to be his career now and then he progressively starts doing more and more, and he eventually gets to Birdman, he gets to Spotlight, he gets to uh, Spider-Man uh, Homecoming. Um, you know, I'm... And I, he's never bad in anything he does. Right. You know, so I'm I'm really glad to see him back on screen consistently, and I thought he was really good in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I thought that he played with accents really interesting in this movie, too. Yeah. Um Kudos to Disney for allowing the villain to basically be a steampunk Walt Disney. Yeah. Right? I, I was surprised that made it through uh, the first round of script yeah, notes. Yeah, because as soon as... Because I when he was talking about Dreamland, I was like, Disney World? Some of, some of what he was saying about it, like his public persona, sounded a lot like some of the conversations from Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which so interesting, uh, speaking of Saving Mr. Banks, that Colin Farrell has turned into a Disney brainchild. Right. Which is bizarre. Well, now, well so you know what's interesting about Colin Farrell, and I think it's kind of reflecting in some of the choices he's been making. Because uh-huh. you know, he used to be a real wild card kind of actor. You know, yeah. he would do like the serious stuff, then he would go make just a just a ton of money. And then he got caught doing a sex tape, and then uh, or no, his sex tape leaked. I'm sorry, that's not a fair way for me to put it. Um <laughs> So, like, he, he was always, like, that kind of actor. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting is if you read about him, so he has a very special needs child. Um, and he's not married to the mother, so he's, he's like, co-parenting in two different places. Okay. Um, and, you know, there have been interviews where he's just like, yeah, I just don't date anymore because I've got two kids and one of them needs me a lot. So if I'm not working, I'm basically with my kids. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he talks about, like, they... Like, apparently it's a real developmental issue that his son has. I don't know exactly what it is. But basically he's just like, yeah, I've learned to celebrate the small things, like when he can hold a spoon by himself. Yeah. So I think here recently he's been doing a lot of movies, you know, uh, first Fantastic Beast notwithstanding where he was playing the villain. But he's been doing movies that make him seem more sympathetic. And I don't know, my speculation is maybe it's because his his kids are getting old enough to start seeing him in movies and he wants to really portray a positive light for him. Like, you know, just, you know, I, but I always like Colin Farrell and everything he does. I so agree. It's just, he used to be with the wild child. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but he has, it hasn't seemed like he's wussied out at all. Like it seems like he's been making some very thoughtful career decisions. I agree. He's not just like in every movie imaginable Mm -hmm. and he's making their interesting choices. One thing that you, 
Um, I don't want to give this away, but he comes back from World War One. Did a, not expect that. No, because they, the the previews did a really good job of yeah, hiding that. Yeah, and we won't spoil it here. Yeah. Um, he comes back with a disability. Mm-hmm. That's all I will say. And um, it's really shocking, and the way that they unfurl his character and who he is. Um, I just thought that was a really well-developed character Mm -hmm. and it made you really care and root for the family right away. So I think overall this was a really well-written movie. Yeah, which is surprising because I'm not usually a fan of the screenwriter, uh, Aaron Kruger, who most people know him from doing uh, Scream 3 and 4. Oh, that's right. I mean, and he's done a lot of other stuff and I'm I'm sure I've seen movies of his where I'm like, oh yeah, I really like that. And you know, I like Scream 4, okay, Scream 3... I watch it if it happens to be in our rotation during Halloween. I like Scream Four. Uh, I, I like Scream Four too, um, but yeah, like he's not—he's not overall a consistent. I like this screenwriter. Yeah, uh, and there were a lot of things that I think he did well in this movie, uh, but I do think that the movie itself kind of came out of the gate hamstringing itself. Hmm. Be, again, just because it didn't want to commit to being a whimsical children's movie, it wanted to get away from like from like the cartooniness of the original, but it didn't really commit to doubling down on some of those adult themes that I think they wanted to deal with. I agree. And it's sometimes it's really tough of a movie. We know this movie as through the perspective of the animals. Mm -hmm. And whenever we put it through the perspective of people, it feels self aggrandizing. It feels like we need to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. And there were times where it felt that way, even though I was so on point with the message, um, which the message of this overall beat is, and you catch, you capture this like almost immediately is that animals in circus mm-hmm. is outdated. Well, and that's, that's what I liked about how, the, what this movie did though, is how it, it was very sympathetic to the animals. Anybody who didn't treat the animals kindly was painted to be a villain. Yes. Which I totally approved of. Yeah. Um, it's just, it kind of. You know, we didn't we didn't get a full look at all the animals. We only were just talking about the elephants. Yeah, we saw elephants, horses, uh, mice, and a monkey. Yeah, and like they let the mice out of the cage. Yeah. Okay. Well, and we'll we'll talk about that part of the movie uh, yeah. later on. Um, in terms of other things that we liked, uh, man, the colors mm-hmm. and just, but it was very mu- it was very muted. Yeah, uh, it was very very Tim Burton. Where I was hoping that Tim Burton would like turn his magenta up. Well, I was hoping to see colors that reminded me more of Big Fish in this movie. Uh, mm, because okay. Big Fish is a very bright movie. Mm-hmm. It still definitely looks and feels like a Tim Burton movie, but it's very bright. This one, I there were times where I wished it was a little brighter. But you know another thing about it, though, is that this movie was a, was 100% shot on a soundstage. Even the outdoor scenes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, uh, the CGI was blinding. Yeah, and I will say that for the CGI, I liked that because it allowed them to, it allowed them to not have to like keep a lot of animals in real cages. Oh, a hundred percent. It's not that the animals. I just really wish they had some locations. Yeah, the, it, it would have been really nice to see an actual wooden train. Yeah, because the movie didn't breathe. Yeah. And not that I'm against sound stages. I love shooting on sound stages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes life so much easier. Yeah. I've spent the past few weeks on location. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really hard. But th- this movie really needed a breath. 
Um, but it's, it is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely beautiful. And maybe that choice was so that the CGI elephants didn't look so CGI, but I wonder if in the midst of a lot of reality, it would have helped. Well, I think it would have helped. Yeah. So apparently the original model for Dumbo was a lot more like a real elephant with just elongated ears. Uh, but they ended up changing it after after a while to uh, something that was a little more. They called it expressive. You know, they kind of went a little more cartoony with it. Yeah. Um. So I won. I wonder what would have happened if they would have, if they would have kind of like even like the remake of the Jungle Book, which we saw. We didn't catch that one in theaters. We saw it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, even though the animals were talking and their mouths were moving in a way that animals' mouths don't move. Uh. Like, the animals still looked and felt a little more real, I think. Yeah. Um, I agree. But other things we liked about this movie. What did you think about Eva Green? She's lovely. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've always been an Eva Green fan. And, you know, her character wasn't super complex, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it was still... It, she was lovely. That's yeah. all I have to say. They didn't... They, and what I also appreciate, they didn't made her... A da- they never made her a damsel. No. Which I, I really appreciated. Especially mm-hmm. one of the very few female characters in this. Yeah. Which, come on, everybody. I will say that uh, that they treated the female characters very well. Like the uh, the mermaid lady who, like, you know, they made, like, one fat joke about her. Which I was like, oh, okay. But, uh, you know, that... that it's that stuck out to me, but like they also treated her like a woman who's like, oh no, I've got a plan and I can handle this. Yeah, I like that she was a mermaid. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was a mermaid. Yeah, and um, her plight of being in the circus, um, it got better. Mm-hmm. It was. She also uh, sang the song very lovely too. Oh, she did, didn't she? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that song's from the original Dumbo. Is it? I would imagine because they use it like three times in this movie, I, so I would imagine that that, that makes they sense. Did. Um. Yeah, I um, I just wish that she had more. I just wish there were more stronger female characters in this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also event. It was a very Disney movie. Is you know that was very one note in color, uh, mm-hmm. in in melanin. Um, but she was lovely. They never made her a victim, even though she kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave her strength in who she was. Um, I also thought the aerial work was really simple and amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually liked the circus aspect in ways better than I liked Greatest Showman. Yeah. Uh, because Greatest Showman, granted, it had more circus in there and more opportunities to show awesome circus. Mm-hmm. But it, they also had things in there that was like, why did, like, for example, in the Zendaya, like, Riding yeah, like a lira and silk and um, Spanish rope on crack scene, uh-huh. um, as a, where the actual like the actuality of what she was doing was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in this, it was very all rooted. The choreography was really clean and good and lovely. So I thought that they they made it more realistic, yeah. which was nice. And I'm not, a th- I'm not by no means saying that movies always have to be realistic. Otherwise I would just like watch my own life all the time. Yeah. But, um, I thought it felt like I was at an actual circus mm-hmm. many times. Yeah. No, I thought they captured that. Well, I mean, Tim Burton, Tim Burton historically does, uh, does circus as well. Um, 
So this is one thing. I said this whenever the casting and everything was announced, and then Danny DeVito went on and said this too, is that he considers this the final part in his uh, Tim Burton at a Circus trilogy that he did with him, starting with Batman Returns and uh, Big Fish and now this. That's awesome. Um, and then somebody else uh, pointed, called it the uh, Danny DeVito, Tim, or the Tim Burton, Danny DeVito in a Tall Hat <laughs> trilogy. <laughs> um, yes. But... Uh, but no, I I also I really did like Danny DeVito in here. I did too. Uh, there were a couple of places in the beginning when he was like a little more of the shady character before he like found his heart, where I literally thought that he was going to pull a gun like he does on It's Always Sunny <laughs> in Philadelphia. <laughs> but what I liked about it is that his he never needed this huge transformation. His transformation was just natural and gradual. Mm-hmm. Um, and and unlike Greatest Showman, where we kind of know that. You know, is it Barnum? Uh, yeah. Was that BT PT Barnum? Yeah. He was kind of a dirtbag, mm-hmm. um, and this guy they they definitely like he kind of created the circus to create his own family. Yeah. Um, which you discover more in the movie, but they that he never was the bad guy truly to begin with. No, he was he was just like a mess. Yeah. Um. I and I've always said that I've thought that I think Danny DeVito is one of the more underrated actors out there that you see in things. Yeah. You know, cuz like, you know, most people whenever they think of him, they think Louis De Palma from uh, Taxi mm-hmm. or they think Frank from It's Always Sunny or they think like The Penguin or something like that. But Danny DeVito constantly constantly has um he has an underlying heart that he gives to his characters, you know? Yeah. And he did a similar thing in Big Fish. You know, he played a really gruff character, but it was easy to see whenever the transformation happened. And so, like, here, it's like you never felt that he was transformed. He would just de-layered himself. He took down some of his armor. Yeah. Um, this one was the, one of the most subtle of his top hat characters, mm-hmm. I will say, um, because he was never... Like, if you think in Big Fish, he was the bad guy. You had to really kind of see him mm-hmm. change. This this guy just was putting on was putting on a, a sh- an, on airs on a show. He was running a business, mm-hmm. and he very quickly when his whole when all of his people were in jeopardy, he realized he was in jeopardy pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though there were there, I mean, he just always had everybody's best interest, whether that meant the elephant or not. Yeah. Um, and that's still something that's a completely valid viewpoint is that animals aren't your family. Yeah. It's, I disagree with those people. <laughs> we obviously do not align with that way of thinking. I think so. I still have a dog in my lap mm-hmm. who's snoring. She has not moved once. Yes. Well, she did open her arm up a little bit. She moved her head. Um, it's like a very, very large toddler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but that's a cause that's a completely valid viewpoint. People do keep their dogs outside. People do hunt, and that's the meat they eat for the year. That's beyond me, mm-hmm. but that is a valid viewpoint. Um, and so, but they de- they didn't villainize him for that. They villainized others for for what they were doing to the animals, mm-hmm. which which that I can I can align with. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that certainly won't just traumatize your children. Oh, no, so that's not at good. all. Yeah. That's good. I don't, I don't think so. I think if you do have a very sensitive child, that this is a better movie for a, a little bit older, yeah. I feel. But I mean, you know, like a lot of the 
things that might be considered, for lack of a better term, traumatic in this movie are similar things that happened in the original cartoon. You know, so it's yeah. it's it is different because they treat the animals more like real world animals in this movie as opposed to as opposed to like human characters who are just happen to be animals. So especially right. so from that perspective it might be a little it might take them aback a little bit, but I definitely wouldn't think that there's anything traumatic in here. No, I don't think it's traumatic and I think I mean it's certainly it is certainly not a cartoon because a cartoon keeps that barrier Mm -hmm. you know you're able to feel but you're like but it's not real Mm -hmm. um and i think maybe that's why they made the dumbo a little bit more cartoon like Mm -hmm. making it like less real yeah i think that might be important just maybe yeah well uh do we want to go ahead and take a quick break and then come back and uh talk about some more spoilery stuff yeah so we're gonna take a quick break if you're on your way to the movies have a wonderful time we can't wait to hear what you thought about disney's dumbo till then we're gonna sit here on the chair with a snoozing pigopotamus and we'll be right back looked at all those insta celebrities and been like where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because i need one but then you think to yourself i don't want to go shopping because it's too selfish what if i could tell you you could get awesome apparel awesome jewelry and it gives back you need to check out rocks jewelry shop that's right rocks r-o-x Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATENIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, JewelryShop.com, code DATENIGHT for 15% off. And welcome back. We are talking Dumbo, and now we are a little unleashed, and we can really start to talk about some spoilery stuff. Although, unleashed. <laughs> I don't know how much spoilery stuff there is to really talk about in this movie, though. Oh, true. I mean, this is a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I will say that I liked that they took the... They took the path that they did in the remake. Again, I don't think it was successful, but they were trying to do it like, well, there's no point in redoing this movie shot for shot. No. You know, like, the Beauty and the Beast remake was a little closer to something like that. Yeah. And it was a fine, inoffensive movie. Yes. Um, this one, I like that they tried something different with that. So I can, def- I can definitely give them, give them props for wanting to do something different. I agree. And I really like the core family that we had to focus on. I really liked that little family. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was interesting that they... I didn't love the way they did it, but I'm not faulting them for the choice of making the little girl and the little, I guess the kids, mm-hmm. um, a mirror to Dumbo. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps for smaller people to relate and understand mm-hmm. understand Dumbo's plight. Yeah. So um, I, I like that. I like how they how they just added, it wasn't like a plot point in the movie, but how they had the two kids be mixed race as well. Yes. Um. And I, and I liked how they just treated that like it was normal. Yes. Yeah. Um, interesting note, the little girl, uh, she that is Tandy Newton's daughter. Who's Tandy Newton? Uh, you know her from Westworld and Mission Impossible 2 and yeah. Beloved. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently she was on the stage like next door filming uh, Solo oh, at the great. time. Um, having said that, I didn't love her. Okay, yes, you have said this a few times. Why? Because to me, 
it felt like and I will qualify this by saying the fact that she's also British and was focusing on doing an American accent could be one thing and her American accent was good oh 100% but it felt like they I don't know if she was directed this way or if that's just the way that she was acting but it was the typical thing that they do where it's like let's make this child smarter than everybody else and that means that she has no inflection in her voice yeah everything they didn't there wasn't written a build to her either yeah she always believed yeah but like I don't know she came off little Wednesday Adams to me I can see that if this movie were 20 years older that would have been Christina Ricci playing that part agreed um I I can I see what you mean um there wasn't a lot of nothing ever felt truly in danger and mm-hmm. that i mean guess it was a kids movie but um they the kids never reflected like when things were really 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 awful you never felt it in the children right and i mean i imagine it would have had to be hard acting against that much cgi you know and that and that again this movie really needed grounding it yeah. needed I mean, it's a movie about an elephant flying, and it really needed some grounding. And like, and so we watched we watched it in three D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, we never go see three D movies. No, uh, with me, especially having like astigmatism and bad vision in general, it, I don't love putting the glasses on. Yeah, because um, it does make it harder for me to see. Uh, the three D glasses that they give you in theaters to me always looks like I'm just wearing a smudged pair of glasses. Yes. Um, but we were like, oh, well, that's closer to the time whenever we want to go see it. So let's just do it. Why not? Uh, and with all the, with all the CGI and with the, with the real D and all this stuff, it just never made me feel like I was there. Yeah. And they never had, I don't know a better way to put it, but they never had a soul crushing moment. There was never a moment where I thought all hope is lost. Yeah. That's what I think this movie was missing, is that it was missing a really high moment and a really low moment. Like, Well, it had high moments, but you didn't have a low moment to compare it to. Right. Well, what, I'm, what I mean is that, yeah, it definitely has high moments, but it didn't have one that was like, this, this is elevated above everything else in the movie. Yeah. You know, it felt very much like it was staying within a range. Right, because we all, cause Dumbo was always missing his mother. They were always missing their mother. Um, and I thought the very end, so again, remember we're in spoiler territory. There's a key, she has a key necklace she always wears that her mother, that was her mother's and she throws it away at the end. Mm-hmm. And that was super unjustified because even though Dumbo was getting his mother back, they weren't. And I was really upset. She threw the key away. And I think, yes, for those we have lost, we do need to move on. But it sounded like they just lost their mom. Yeah, they weren't super clear on whenever the mom died. Well, um, he said that winter they had the big influenza outbreak. Yeah. At most, at most, this was five months True. without their mother. These are small children without their mother and old enough to realize she's gone well and that was a that was a thing that i kind of had maybe not issues with but it stuck out to me in this movie is that the timeline just felt so sped up along everything yeah uh so like you know their their mother dies and like you said that didn't last that long but what you have to remember too is that by the time dumbo's born to the time whenever he first goes out there that's only like a week right yeah, uh, and then it's maybe a few weeks later whenever Michael Keaton comes, uh, and then they move to Dreamland, 
And remember, given the timeline that they gave us, the Dreamland scenes happen in two days. So in, um, a little bit longer. Be- no, because they they literally they literally get them there, move them in, bring them to Dumbo, and said he's going on tomorrow night. Oh, it was it tomorrow night? Yeah, and oh, then I and remember the, hearing Friday, but then I was like, what does Friday mean? I I think it, I if I'm wrong, I'll apologize, but I think that they said tomorrow night, and then the next the next performance took place the very next night. Okay, I took it. Well, I took it as two days, uh-huh. so. Either way, it's not a lot of time. Yeah, and the fact that Eva Green became uh, became a mother figure to them in that amount of time and fell in love with Carl, Colin Farrell in that amount of time. Uh, yeah, I'm, granted, I didn't and, see and it a as a full-on... Right, I didn't see it as a full-on love affair. Yeah, like between them, no, but the fact that she... Became be, a mother Yeah, figure. became the mother figure to the kids in that short amount of time. I agree, which was weird. Yeah, uh, it, it was at least noticeable to my adult eyes. Uh, yes. But then again, to children, it probably wouldn't be. No. Your your kids are going to have like 5% of the thoughts on this movie that we do. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, to me, it was, it had some whimsy. Um, but like, if you, for to me, more whimsy would have seen the kids really go and love Dreamland. Mm-hmm. And love it for what it is. And on the surface. Yeah. You know, and that having part of Dreamland be fake break their hearts Mm -hmm. you know like there was there was not a whole lot of digging it felt everything just felt right there on the surface yeah this movie is exactly shows you exactly what it is yes uh for better and for worse um there is a moment so like there's the chaos going on at the end in the park spoiler alert the dreamland ends up burning down (laughs) but they show a moment where they're like shutting down power and then a, a roller coaster just gets stuck at the top of the hill and they never go back to that. So the next time you see anything about that, the park is on fire. So I just lean over Jessica. I'm like, wonder if those people got off that roller coaster. <laughs> I know. They just make it seem like it's like a, the massacre at Dreamland. Yeah. Um, again, kudos to Disney for letting them make Walt Disney a bad guy. Because he basically was a steampunk Walt Disney. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, this definitely... This had Tim Burton's stamp, and I, I love Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. If I think about when I think about what he does in general, I really like it. Yeah, I wish it would evolve. Well, to me, this definitely had Tim Burton's stamp on it, but it felt like Tim Burton was like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to do my thing on this. Like it yeah. didn't, it didn't feel like it. It had Tim Burton's stamp, but it didn't feel like it came deep from within Tim Burton. I can, yeah, I can see that. Because, like, Big Fish is one of the most successful things I can think of. Yeah, I mean, Big Fish is legitimately one of my favorite movies. It's so good. It's still his imagination and his world, but it doesn't feel like him. It allows the story to shine through, Uh which is a major, major success to me. Um, And this one, just kind of the muted colors. um, I mean, it was circus, and he's very successful with circus. Yeah. Um, But, like, when I think of another... Somewhat, somewhat successful circus movie. I think Water for Elephants. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen the movie. I only read the book. The book is crazy. Yeah. Um, and it's a bananas book. The movie's fine. The the movie they like kind of, they kind of white milked it, didn't they? Oh yeah. All right. Oh yeah. Because I remember seeing the trailer for that one, just being like, oh my god, this is, it looks amazing. Yeah, the circus in it's very good. Yeah. Um, um, 
but no, as soon as soon as I saw the elephant hooks in this movie, I immediately thought water for elephants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they just, I don't know. I think it inferred a lot of animal cruelty in the circus mm-hmm. and that, that is a lot of mixed info anyway. Um, Barnum and Bailey is one of the last that had elephants in the show mm-hmm. and um, a good friend of mine, her sister, was an act at Barnum and Bailey, and was like these a- these animals weren't mistreated, mm-hmm. but in a similar manner, they're not wild. You know, I don't, you know, I can't speak for how things go at Sea World, but those, you know, whales deserve to be. Yeah, if they need to be in a sanctuary, they need to be in a a sanctuary, and so, but they never really made things seem truly awful. They really mistreated the elephant after she like killed somebody. Yeah, well, and so the only on-screen death in this movie, he definitely has it coming. Oh, he's a super uh, bad dude, and I, I didn't m- mourn a single moment he yeah, was missing. And but. what I liked about that is, you know, it was a pretty simple death, but just the way it was handled seemed very Tim Burton. Yeah, uh, and I was kind of like, I, I didn't meet. I didn't look at that and be like, oh, I hope more people die like this. But I <laughs> I watched it and was like, oh, well, maybe that, that's going to be where we see like little flashes of Tim Burton's like crazy macabre sense of humor in here. And yeah. that was really the only moment. But yeah, uh, the people who treat, mistreated the animals were bad people. Um, and the people who were on the animal sides were good people. And I think that that's a good lesson for kids to take away in a movie like this. Agreed. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I think overall the messages were good and clear. I just think um, that it's, they kind of gypped some story points, but not to a point where it was bad. No. This was not bad. No. I, and again, I still recommend that people see this movie and I recommend that you take your kids to see this movie because, you know, overall, I, like I said, my mixed review on it comes from not the fact that I think it's a bad movie. It's a good movie that I don't think was successful. Right. Um, which sounds like an oxymoron, but I think that I think that should make sense to a lot of people, you know? Yeah, so I think, therefore, it's worth seeing and worth being a part of, but it's not like... It, it didn't blow my mind, and I think for adult audiences, it may not. But so now I'm sitting here thinking, trying to equate another children's movie like this that's Alice with notwithstanding, mm-hmm. not another necessarily like Tim Burton movie. Obviously, Edward Scissorhands, Big Fish, like all of these kind of equate to a Dumbo, but I'm just trying to think uh, not Tim Burton, kid friendlier movie. What would, what would equate? That's a really good question. So I think it's successful in the fact that as far as younger audiences go, this is a good younger audience movie. And I'm curious how it did in focus groups. Mm-hmm. Um, because, no, it, it didn't hit me at my heartstrings. To me, if you want to see Colin Farrell tug at your heartstrings and be a very successful young adult movie that's very adult-friendly, it would be Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. Because it, it answers and deals with a lot of hard questions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is not fair or equatable to me to think that kids can't handle harsher messages. No. In I, a safe manner. You know, I was reading an interview with uh, Hans Zimmer recently. And he was talking about The Lion King. And one of the reasons he chose to do that is because this is a movie that a lot of kids... Are, he said, this is a movie that a lot of kids are going to see. And in the first act... 
the young, cute, fuzzy animal's dad dies. Oh, and, I, yes. And he said, he said, it reminded me of when I was six and my, and my dad dropped dead in front of me. He's like, I didn't have anybody to talk to or nothing that I could really watch to process that. You know, so like, you know, a, a movie like The Lion King or a movie like The Land Before Time where, you know, the mother dies and then they have that old dinosaur come through and kind of talk about death and the great beyond and things like that uh, with Littlefoot. And then a movie like this, which obviously isn't dealing with like your parents dying. I mean, it is, but it's not really focused on that. It's it's more focused on, to me, I would say this movie is trying to tell you to be to be kind to the world around you. And I think this movie also tells... It, I mean, it really hammers home the message that animals deserve to be free and mm-hmm. animals deserve to be... you. They deserve to be kind. Yeah. But I do think it falls short in its message. It doesn't... It it tells you, you can get over your mom's death. You yeah. just need an elephant friend. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, your whole world can fall apart? That's okay. You'll live at the circus. To me, the message isn't that strong for kids. Yeah, and... What was interesting, too, is that from the story perspective, they never had a moment where, like, the kids and their father really came together. Like, he went, he chased them after the fire, like, whenever they were stuck in the fire. But, like... But you never didn't believe he wouldn't. Right. You know, so a movie that does this really successfully is Super 8. Okay. Um, Which was, you know, the J.J. Abrams movie that kind of felt like E.T., um... But at the end of, you know, the mother died before the movie started, and then the father and the son were having a hard time connecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, he was really distant and cold because he was still mourning his wife. Uh, And then at the end of the movie, he runs up whenever he, whenever, like, the kid is getting, like, pulled away. I think it, I want to say it's, like, the gravity of the ship about to take off starts pulling him a little bit, and then he runs up and he grabs him. He's like, I've got you. I've got you. And that had a really strong moment of, like, the estranged a parent and child coming together. And I honestly think that if they would have just added a conscious moment like that in this movie, then I think a lot of my things that are sticking out to me might have been smoothed over. Maybe, but they also, like the kid, let's say, um, so the dad comes home, so Colin Farrell's character comes home from World War One, um, and he's disabled. And we, the, we can say it now. Well, so he's missing his arm. Yeah. And we, he's supposed to be like a world famous or... Circus famous, yeah, uh, trick rider, and we d- you find that out later, but you see it, and his kids are terrified. And to me, it would have been almost stronger if maybe the the son or somebody had run away, yeah, because while he was gone at war, while you're wondering if he's ever going to come back, their kids are old enough to have those have, have had those thoughts, mm-hmm. and then their mother dies while he's gone. Yeah. And they're still cared for in this community and loved and supported in this circus community. So when their dad comes home, they're not really in a place where it's like, this suck. Like, this is the worst. Yeah. It certainly is not the best. But you see the kids, uh, the opening, they, you know, she's, you know, checking up. She's doing a checkup after the mouse and... Like, they have what seems a well-supported life. Like, child services would come to the circus and go, these children seem extremely cared for. Yeah, especially in the time period where this movie takes place. Right. They're clothed. They're fed. Um, they're not dirty. Uh, the worst thing that they encounter when he comes home is they don't have as nice of quarters as they used to have. Right. And their life... it And not that you have to... Your life has to suck for there to be growth... But they didn't really, they didn't give it a nothingness. 
Well, I think I think in a movie like this, what you're describing, uh, like you said, no, that doesn't have to be the way that you know that illustrates that part of your life. But in a movie like this, that's a really easy way and a really successful way to get that point across. So, right. so you would think that you would think that that was just in there yeah. somewhere. And uh, even it's something as simple as let's say everything was the same, but the fact that so the the dad comes home and they sold his horses mm-hmm. because he his wife died. Yeah, the kids didn't pick up the family business. They weren't in the act. Yeah, and wife died. There was no one there to ride or care for the horses, so they sold them. Right. It didn't even affect them. No. It didn't even affect the children. Like you would think, like. That's what their mom and dad did, mm-hmm. and that's they live in the circus. Yeah. So the fact that they wouldn't have been around them and that wouldn't have devastated them is confusing to me. Well, and they probably did that to that so that way Danny DeVito wouldn't be a purely bad guy. Yeah, but he still completely redeemed himself. There was, you know, that this dude wouldn't have been the worst. Right. Um, to kind of talk about something I did like. Uh, I like I did like how they leaned into the cheesy ending where it basically looked like he, Danny DeVito was giving a TV commercial for the circus. I know. And he was literally walking at the camera and talking to the camera and you almost think he's going to be like so come on down to crazy Ernie's, you know? I know. Like it's it's borderline shot like that. Yes. But it's it's really great cuz you know, it's Danny DeVito on screen and he just has this unique charisma that only he has where you're like I want to watch you do twice as much as you're doing right now. Yeah. Um I he says that you know, they don't believe that uh animals belong in cages. Uh so the animals that are there are free. Yeah. Um you know, and then it shows that, like, you know, Eva Green is now an aerialist there working with Colin Farrell, who was do- whose daughter invented the bionic arm in 1919, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and she has her own exhibit there. And the son is part of the uh, is part of the trick writing act now. Like, you know, I think I thought that ending was really good. I thought I, I will say I think it wrapped up the human characters very well. Yeah, I think it wrapped him up extremely well. I just wish there was even more of an arc. I just think oh, yeah. the movie could have survived with it. Yeah. Um, I did also love the ending with Dumbo and his mother joining the other herd of elephants. I, I did too. Yeah. I love that they got to be wild elephants. Yeah. Um, did you Were you overall cool with the CGI Dumbo? Yeah. I, w- I was too. I it, just wish it was rooted with realness around him. Yeah. And it, I was fine with all of the elephants being CGI. That was fine. Yeah. It would have been nice if they at least had, like, had Jurassic Parked it. To yeah. Where, like, the dinosaurs are largely CGI, but in some moments there are animatronics that they are interacting with. Yes. You know? And you wouldn't think, you know, Jurassic Park being 26 years old at this point, you wouldn't think that that technology would be out of the realm of possibility for Disney to do within the budget they wanted to keep. And I think it would have been brilliant. And I think, yes, I agree, some moments with that children, if it had been his actual ear, or I just think that it was it was missing some groundedness Yeah. Um, that I feel like it really needed to really just make it sing. Mm-hmm. Um, another moment that I really loved, because I really thought the circus moments in this were successful, mm-hmm. um, it just kept it, I mean, it was very surface level circus. Yeah. You know, that, and that's, you know, where this movie was, and that's fine. Um, 
Um, I really loved the bubbles that turned into the pink elephants that turned into elephants on parade. The, yeah, so the two references in this movie to the pink elephants. Uh, there were the bubbles scene, which some of that was directly animated from the pink elephants. It was great. It was awesome. It and was tri- It was still trippy. Yeah, and which then, was kind of weird because the whole movie isn't trippy, and then yeah. you had this moment where he's like sucking elephants up into his trunk. I was like, okay. But watching Dumbo's reaction to that—that's something I thought they did really well. Yeah, that. Be- <laughs> and because he was watching it, and you see some of it like through the reflection in his eye. But as he's watching it, he's enthralled by it. I wish the movie had given us something that would have made us as the audience feel that enthralled by something. Yeah, but I did, I did love, I did love it. The, the the idea that it was the opening to Dumbo, and it was done by these bubbles, by these women who were dancing and making these giant bubbles. Yeah, which those were real. Uh-huh. Those bubbles, you can make those bubbles. Yeah, those bubbles were real, and then they CGI'd them to do more. Yeah. And it that was to me the coolest part of the movie. I thought it was so successful. I thought it was so neat. Uh, yeah. The other pink elephant reference in this movie. I don't know if you caught it, but um, whenever they're bathing Dumbo after he his first successful performance, the guy comes in. And he's one. He's like, yeah, he's celebrating. He pops up in the champagne, and Danny Vito's like, no champagne around the baby, or yes. no booze around the baby. Yes. Um, let me uh, do some of my IMDb-ing on this. So, oh, yes. So there are actually a couple of interesting little IMDb facts. Uh, first of all, um, Colin Farrell actually was very hands-on with making sure that the horses were properly treated on this movie. Yeah, so this is he's been doing a lot of horse stuff recently. Yeah, well, and apparently he did a lot of his own writing in this movie, too. Yes, well, he did a lot of the writing in Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah. So that's interesting, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I like how he's just like, yeah, 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 you guys are great. I'm going to go take care of the horses. Um, let's see, Colleen Atwood, who of course is the costume designer yeah, on this. Yeah, naturally. She specifically went out of her way to not have any vertical black and white stripes in the costumes in this movie. Because she's like, it's a Tim Burton movie, guys. We don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> Which is interesting because I do think Tim Burton's in this phase of his career where he's trying to de-Tim de- Burton himself. Like, uh... Like, you know, he stopped working with Johnny Depp all the time a few years ago. Um, Which you know. is a very, very good choice for all yeah. parties involved. Uh, he's split from Helena Bonham Carter, so of course she's not in all of his movies. Yes. But like if Miss Peregrine was made 15 years ago, she would have been playing Miss Peregrine. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't use Danny Elfman on Miss Peregrine, but of course I think that's because he was busy on the Alice in Wonderland sequel. Right. Which was still produced by Tim Burton. But, like, it seems like he's always in this mode of trying to un-Tim Burton his movies now. Which I'm just like, dude, just go back and do something like Big Fish because he did that perfectly there and it still felt like And there was not that many black and white stripes in that. Exactly. Um, Let's see. Apparently there was a swear jar on set to try and keep everybody's uh, language clean in front of the kids. And apparently Colin Farrell had it filled up by the end of the first day. That's amazing. Um, we already talked about how it was filmed on uh, sound stages. Uh, which sound stage? Uh, it doesn't say. Um, it doesn't say. I know it's where Disney was also filming Solo at the same time. So in London? I would imagine so. Gotcha. Um, let's see here. There were a couple of other interesting ones. Um, anything else you want to say while I'm looking this up? Um, not much. I mean, overall, this movie just didn't land with me. Yeah. Um, but I was still really enjoyable. I didn't feel like midway that I needed to get up and leave. Yeah, it wasn't, definitely wasn't Holmes and Watson. No, no, no. I didn't, yeah, there was never the discussion of 
why are we still here? Yeah. Um, so we talked about this in a great moment of casting. The uh, announcer at Dreamland is the "Let's Get Ready to Rumble" guy. Yes, and that was great. And that was that was yeah, that was great. And also how they had him basically say the lyrics to "When I See an Elephant Fly." Yes. Um, you know that guy? He trademarked "Let's Get Ready to Rumble." So I any, know. Anytime that's used, he is the one who benefits from that, not the Pro Boxing Association. He's brilliant. Yeah. Good for that guy. Yeah. And that's all he's ever had to do. I know. And and it's it's actually really good. Mm-hmm. Like when you start hearing him talk and he's like, you've, and you've seen a house fly, but you've never seen an elephant fly. It was so good. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good. It wasn't even, it was, it was cheesy, but like perfectly cheesy. Um, apparently Alan Arkin's character was originally meant for Christopher Walken. Um, ah. Christopher Walken couldn't do it scheduling issues so he asked uh, Alan Arkin to specifically play it like Christopher Walken would oh that's so funny yeah well Alan Arkin is so great in so many things that he does so yeah he kind of had a little bit of like Al Pacino once he got into his yelly point of the career <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's all I think that's all I really had. I really liked how they handled the feather in this movie. I did too. Because in the original, it's Timothy the Mouse who gives Dumbo the feather. Yes. And then Timothy the Mouse who who tells him that he doesn't need the feather. But I liked how they incorporated that not as like, you know, here Dumbo, this feather will help you fly. It was like a training moment. Like they were training the the animal how to do something. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was really great. I give so many props to that part of the movie. Yeah. And I love how they incorporated it into the costuming and mm-hmm. I love when he was trying to get the feather off of her stocking and then yeah. tried to get the feather off of her shoes. Uh-huh. Um, I, I also liked how, uh, at his first performance in Dreamland, uh, how whenever he messed up, like there was an actual reason for it because like the dust distracted him and made him sneeze. Yeah. And he lost the feather and that shook his confidence and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, I I thought that there were there were a lot of moments in this movie that I really liked. I just don't think that it was overall very successful, but I would still wholeheartedly recommend uh, that people see this movie, especially with young kids. Agreed. Um, it's a very safe movie to take your kids to. Yeah, it's a safe movie, and I you know I think I would be interested in the conversations that you have with your small people in your life of their reactions in this movie. Um, I, I do think it's geared for a young adult. I don't think teenagers will like this movie. No, I think you either have to be a child or an adult who is willing to look watch this movie through the eyes of a child. Yeah, because I feel that at a certain age, some of these subjects aren't going to feel deep enough and they're going to seem like cop-outs. And especially, I, it really, really hit me when she threw the key, her key necklace away. Mm-hmm. It, to me, that key necklace wasn't the feather. Yeah. It was similar, um, but it, I saw her almost give Dumbo the key and Dumbo give her the key back. Yeah. I, because that was a key that symbolized a connection to her mother's heart. I think that that would have worked a lot better had there been more time between the mother dying and then. Years. Like um, if the mother had been dead and then he had to go to war yeah. and then he came, like all of that, but months just was unfair. Yeah. It just seemed really unfair and it wasn't, yeah, it just, that, that broke my heart more than anything else. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts we want to share? Should we go on ahead and close this thing up? I think so. Well, I think we've made it clear because we always leave you all with like, should you see this? Should you not? I think you should. I think this is a movie worth going to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, 
you know, I, I personally would love to know what, if you take younger children to this, or even if your teenager does want to go see this, I'm curious how they will react and how that they will take this movie. Um, it's whimsy, but it's not whimsy. Yeah. So I'm curious on everybody else's reactions to it. Um, real quick, just out of, this is an interesting little question I just thought of. Sure. So we've done three movies that are similar to this type of children's movie since we started the podcast. Sure. So if somebody were to ask you, I have three choices on what to show my kids tonight, uh, Dumbo, The Grinch, or Christopher Robin, which one do you choose? Oh, geez. I would say this one. I think this one is a little easier for a kid to digest. I do too. It's a, a it's a little bit more concise. Uh-huh. Um, the ending, even though we are critical of it, is um, more earned mm-hmm. than Christopher Robin. Also, I think a small child would have a hard time connecting with Christopher Robin just because it's from the perspective of an adult. It is completely from the perspective of an adult who grew up. Yeah. Unlike Hook, when you watch Hook, you're watching Robin Williams, uh-huh. you're watching Peter gained back his perspective as a child which is makes it extremely watchable and whenever he does that they open that part of him up wide open with Christopher Robin he's yes. just like oh I get it now right and that's it and it's more I get more of whimsy from when his wife discovers it yeah um this one to me is one of the most kid friendly you didn't in, you didn't include the Incredibles too well that's that's because like I consider even though one of these was PG-13, I would consider The Incredibles 2 more directly comparable to Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, okay, yeah. Th- that's where my thought process was, at that least. That t- completely makes sense. O- out of all of them, I would say Incredibles 2. I would, too, because um, Spider-Verse is definitely a young adult. Yeah, Spider-Verse isn't necessarily a kid's movie. Uh, it's it, not not one. No, like, you, I could still see, like, if I walked in and, like, one of our, like, four-year-old nephews was watching Spider-Verse, I wouldn't think that that was weird. No, no, no. Yeah. But they may, they'll they miss the greater reasoning behind it. Yeah. Um, and would miss the that in Spider-Verse, spoiler alert, that the, the what we consider an, on planet Earth to be Spider-Man dies. Mm-hmm. And they would miss that. Yeah, yeah. They, that... That is a, I mean, as an adult, you have to really wrap your head around that, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, I agree. What about, what about, I mean, between Dumbo and Mary Poppins Returns? Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. I would definitely say Mary Poppins. Yeah. I think. Because Mary Poppins deals with those really hard questions and it deals with, like, the father decides to sell everything. Yeah. Because he, his family needs a home. They make a, he makes the hard choices. They don't skirt around that dad is really sad and they can't afford groceries yeah and that the kids mess up mm-hmm. you know they don't they they allow things to be messy in mary poppins but they allow it to be so this movie was afraid to get messy yeah and so i think that saying that that a children's movie shouldn't be messy is unfair because i think what you said that hans zimmer said about lion king is brilliant you know how do you talk about those things well, we talk about them in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we and we've talked about it before, but we watched Mr. Rogers, and we watched Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is available on HBO. And holy moly, you don't realize what you learn from those shows that you don't know how to talk to have, about others or even to start the conversations because you're young. Have you seen that comic that's been going around Facebook of Mr. Rogers and Thor? No. 
It's really good. Just to kind of give you an overview. So Thor's on top of a roof and Mr. Rogers comes up there. He's like, well, hi, Thor, what are you doing? And he's just like, oh, I'm here installing some free uh, lightning rods for any uh, damage I might cause later on. He's like, oh, that's cool. Say, what's that hammer? Is that, that looks pretty heavy. He's like, yeah, it really is. He's like, you mind if I lift it up? And Thor's like, sure. Some people find it hard to do, though, because the whole, the whole thing is that you have to have a pure heart to be able right. to hold up Thor's hammer. And Mr. Rogers is like, well, I don't think that's very heavy at all. And Thor looks back and he's picking it up no problem most comics would have ended there but they keep going and they say you know i think life is just like that sometimes that things seem that really that are really hard to some people are pretty easy to others and maybe things that might seem hard to you would seem real would seem really easy to others and like it zooms out it's just a picture of the world and he's like i just think that's the world we live in and thor's like i think you're right and mr rogers is like thank you so much for visiting me today thor oh yeah oh oh (laughs) Oh, <laughs> so Dumbo doesn't do that. No, Dumbo doesn't get there, but I do think it is definitely worth seeing. I definitely think that your kids would enjoy this, and I wouldn't be mad if I watched this one again. No, this this one was on, and our nephews were watching it. Which, gosh, well, we have all nephews. Yeah, we do, don't we? Jeez, Louise. Yeah. Anywho, um, if they were watching it and asked us to sit down and watch it, I would have no qualms. Yeah. And actually, I would jump at the opportunity because I think this is definitely geared more to a younger audience um, because it kind of becomes a little wishy-washy. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's it for this week because we, I feel us, we've gotten a good enough rhythm now to where I can always feel when we're about to start talking in circles. Yep. I think this one just happened a lot earlier than we normally do. It's that time. Yeah. Well, I guess with that being said... Let's sign off. All right. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And thanks so much for coming to visit with us at Date Night at the Movies. Bye.